This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode of the Adventure Jogger podcast brought to you by Mary Moffat, Sandra Paul, Earl and Rena Philpot, Crystal Pistol, all of our Patreon supporters, and of course you, the listener. The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Liza, congrats on that win at the Badger 100. That was pretty darn impressive. Well, thank you very much. It is a great race. It is. It's fantastic. Scotty Coomer of uh, 10 Junk Miles, which is an absolutely fantastic podcast, was podcasting for the longest time, got into race directing. That can go one of two ways. That can go, I've bitten off far more than I can chew, and I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing, regardless of the fact that I've interviewed how many ever race directors or whatever. Right, 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 right. Or it can go the way with Scotty, which is he obviously has learned lessons from lots of people and has just turned 10 Junk Miles into an incredible race company as well and such an amazing race. And for you to win the darn thing by like three hours, Liza, that's pretty darn impressive. Well, first, I agree. Scotty does an excellent job. Like he He is really thoughtful about that race and how to get you know, the community feel there and starting the 100 milers and the 100K one day and everybody else the next day and uh, so that you're passing and celebrating with, like, and that the place that the start finishes, like, it's just, like, he's he's done a, an exceptional job. And so I love that race um, a lot. And so it was super fun to go up there and, like, and do well, especially because it was, like, stupid hot and humid. And so I think um, my ice game is much better uh, than most people's ice game. And so I, I definitely benefited from that there. So, okay, I think you're being modest, um, but we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that as the interview unfolds um, because ice is not going to make that much of a difference, or maybe you it is. You'd be surprised. <laughs> okay. Be surprised. Well, here's the thing too, though, Liza, you're, you're in San Antonio, and San Antonio will experience a heat that Wisconsin will never experience. I'm born and raised in Wisconsin. You know, I, I once I moved south of the Mason-Dixon in Tennessee, I'm like, I've never experienced heat like this before in my life. And it took me a decade to get accustomed to the heat down here as opposed to the heat up there. But so, so first of all, you're coming in with an advantage of, you know, you, 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 you know heat. You're in San Antonio, Texas. You know, hot, humid heat. But I have to ask now, you brought it up. What is Liza Howard's ice game? Ice game. Um, Yeah, I've done a lot of, I mean, I think, you know, eventually you resign yourself to the place you live and you start choosing races that you're not having to, you know, kind of do all sorts of craziness in order to run them. And so Mm -hmm. like, I live in a, I live in a hot place. (laughs) And so I've started to choose a bunch of hot races. And so I've run... Um, I've run Badwater and I've run Marathon de Saab um, in the Sahara Desert and I've done the Keys 100. So I've chosen a lot of, of warm races. Um, and, you know, like, yeah, there's one side where you, you do get acclimated to training in the heat, but the other side is like cooling yourself down during a race. And that is for sure um, 
uh, an art and a, a skill and uh, and I had an amazing crew that like knew how to do that well and so you know it like it's it is humid up in Wisconsin and like it's hot down here but it's not that humid and humidity is just a totally different thing and so there were a lot of people it seemed like at Badger who were like dipping their stuff in water like cold water and then putting it on but in a humid place it's just like well now it's it's warm and wet like, it's right like it's not, you know and so it didn't seem like a ton of people were using ice in the in the way that you see out at bad water or in other places where it's exceptionally hot and so i feel like i benefited from an amazing crew and just kind of knowing that like oh yeah like that's really helpful um so yeah so so how do you how do you use ice you know, no, bringing your bad water icing strategy to a place like Badger. Because here we are, when we're recording this podcast, um, it is 107 degrees where I'm at right now. Oh, uh, um, I'm sorry. People, yeah, it's, it's rough. People are trying to get training done in what is being called the hottest summer on record. Uh, you know, and, we, and we're racing in this. I mean, what was it? Leadville, which was this past weekend as of the recording of this had one of the lowest finish rates they've had in a long time because they were dealing with ridiculous now, heat. I was up there, and I, I don't want you to get any hate mail or anything, and I don't mean to be a heat snob, but it was not. <laughs> like, it was sunny. The sun did feel hot, but, I mean, I don't know what the actual high was, but. <laughs> so you're, you're basically saying, like, hold on, guys, hold on. I mean, it's Anyway, so but let's get back to uh, how to use ice. How about uh, <laughs> you can um, send that mail to Liza yeah, doesn't exactly. think it's hot like, at gmail dot com. I will, no, I feel like any time that you're running in something above eighty degrees, that like yeah, you can totally complain. Like it is hot. That is hot weather to run in, right? Like, uh, but I I just don't know that it was all that hot. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, well, so, so yeah, like, so I think the biggest thing is just an ice scarf and, um, it's difficult. It can be really difficult to run with an ice scarf because it's just hard to manage, right? Like yeah. that right around your neck there. And it can be difficult to get it not to bounce up and down and, um, and all of that. And so there are, there are some really good, uh, like ways to manage ice scarves so that you're actually having that, you know, right around your neck and kind of, you know, cooling the blood vessels there and kind of you know, your perception of how miserable it is affects your ability to perform in that. Um, and so when you've got kind of this coolness around your neck and then when you're shading your face and you're wearing darker sunglasses and, and keeping the sun off your skin, like all of that impacts your ability to actually perform. Um, the problem, but the key is actually like always having that ice on before you're thinking that it's hot out like I need to get it like before that happens you need to go ahead and, and get the ice on and just figure out a way that it's going to be manageable and so like um uh there there are different shapes of ice scarves like trail toes makes a really nice one now that yeah. actually comes around your neck and hangs down just a little bit that I'm like oh <laughs> the best thing ever um but there are ways to like you know put it under your pack or shove it under a sports bra a little bit but that that I think is the biggest um uh, way to mitigate the heat and then you know sometimes people will put it in their hydration packs and just use that to carry the ice like put it in the front pockets and put it in the back and that's great except that when you're in a really humid environment like having that pack on can also kind of make you feel a bit hotter so it's this it's this balance right yeah um do you wet the bandana before you ice it because i know in a humid climate like if you're in a drier heat getting the getting the bandana wet and then icing it so it's a it's a it's a wet cold right, maybe right. beneficial is that the same thing with humidity do you do the same thing or do you maybe do less water or no water at all and and to 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 what to wet down the bandana it'll just get wet because of the ice in there you know as the ice melts it'll it'll become wet um but it'll stay cold because of that ice okay gotcha so, so don't and when you're super humid you may not want to dip that thing in water and get it nice and wet you just put the ice in the bandana and let it let yeah it let it get wet from the ice yeah because if you just in a humid environment if you just get it wet then it's lovely for like 
three minutes, you know, and then it's just this warm, wet thing around your neck. Like it's just, you know, when it <laughs> when there's no evapor evaporative cooling, like it's just, yeah, that's, it's not effective. And I think a lot of people were doing that, um, that I saw at Badger. They were like, you know, putting wet bandanas around their neck and you're like, yeah, not, it just doesn't have the same impact as ice. Something that you could be an expert on too, and you may be able to settle this once and for all. As someone who is like, this is great, Liza. We're just going to cover a lot of bases. People are going to learn things from this. I mean, this is going to put me in the legitimate podcast realm. Maybe <laughs> move from tertiary to secondary. Um, <laughs> having raced the races that you have and in the locations that you have, you have a lot of experience in racing in the, the higher altitudes and racing in the humidity. I have often heard... Andy Jones Wilkins has said it. I've there's articles about it. They always say that that because it's hard for people that live. I mean, I live at 600 feet above sea level, and so yeah, to yeah <laughs> yeah yeah we're both we're both there. And so it's hard when you look at these really great races out west, especially when you look at something like you, know, you were at this past weekend, Leadville, where you're like 10,000 feet. I'm at 600 feet above sea level, and I've heard that humidity is the poor man's altitude training because running through really hot and humid weather your body is spending so much energy in vain trying to cool itself that you're really running with a lower percentage of energy going to your legs it almost trains you to be more efficient when you can't your your body's using a lot of energy for something else does it translate at all to humidity is i mean if to altitude is humidity the poor man's altitude training liza I have some opinions. <laughs> Please share. <laughs> yeah, because I've trained a lot of people to run uh, Leadville, and I've run it a bunch myself coming from down here. And so, so, so two things first. Uh, number one, like, yeah, it's miserable to train in the heat and humidity. Um, and so being used to running in really hard conditions is for sure useful. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like when you go up to altitude, like you're like, oh, I'm used to being terrible <laughs> like, and running long and that like, oh, I can do that. I mean, and you know, like that, that's, it's a simple and funny thing to say, but it's true, right? Like, I mean, if, if all you ever have run in is like beautiful 75 degree weather um, and you haven't really kind of, you know, suffered in the same way as like running through, training through a summer in the South, um, uh, then, then yeah, like it's going to be exponentially harder when you're running at altitude um, and there's less pressure from oxygen. You're feeling that kind of miserable um, just from the get go. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so there's that. Um, running in the heat increases the plasma volume of your blood. Um, and so that's helpful when you initially get to altitude because it's very easy to become dehydrated at altitude because you're breathing faster and you're urinating more because when you breathe faster, you're changing your um, your pH, yeah. right, basically. And, you know, we can only, like a swimming pool, we can only kind of exist at a very pre uh, precise pH. Yeah. And so then, like, we, we get off by breathing faster. And so then our kidneys have to kick in to get everything back into to like a specific range, but we're peeing more at altitude, right? And yeah. so we're just set up to be dehydrated. Well, if you're going in with already an increased uh, blood plasma volume, then that, that sets you up a little bit better. So so that's great. So you can feel when you first get to altitude pretty, pretty okay, um, but none of that prevents getting altitude sickness. So like if you're gonna get a, you know, a headache and feel really nauseated and or, or worse, like, Training in the heat is not going to prevent any of that. So, you know, and that usually comes on in the first 24 hours of going to altitude and usually resolves in about 48 hours. Yeah. And so that's why sometimes when people go to shorter races, they're like, well, if you just show up right before the race, right, and then you've been training in a hot place, you've got this increased plasma volume, and yeah, you can feel kind of okay without acclimatizing. But when you're doing a 100-mile race, like you're just out there for so much longer that that like that benefit goes away, and also it doesn't prevent the sickness. Um, and so, yeah. So, you, so those are my thoughts. <laughs> so, so basically, what you're saying is, no, it's not. And um, if you're going to do, if you're if you're a lowlander going to race high, you need to really get there three to four days ahead of time and allow your body to adjust and get over the, the the sickness and then you know your body will adjust in in three to four days right like if you're if you're gonna spend the money on a race 
and you're going to potentially hire a coach or like ask your family to support all the training that you're going to do for that race, um, then then you should figure out a way to get up there at least three days early. And the longer you can be up there, the greater your chances. Like I, I have gotten to the point now coaching people for Leadville where I'm like, hey, if you get there the day early, just a day before, they're like, one, I don't want to work with you because your chances of finishing if you're not coming from anywhere are so low, right? Um, because the cutoffs for Leadville are really hard. That's, yeah. the, that's the issue there, right? Um, if you can get there three days early, well, great. Then I feel like you have a good 50-50 chance of finishing that race. <laughs> right and like with each day like that increases by about 10 percent. like there's no research behind that like i'm making it up but that, it seems like it how it kind of plays out like if you can't do that which is it's a hard thing to do right like people have lives and jobs and responsibilities it's pretty hard to be like i'm gonna go up for a week and right. just be in the thin air um but but if you can't do that maybe choose a different race another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Gotcha. You talked about earlier about pH levels, right? In, in, okay. in your body lowering because of the your your breathing faster because of the the thinner air i'm really surprised that there has not been some sort of supplement or something that that would counteract that or something there's not some nutritional product we live in a world liza where we have birthday cake flavored goo we are living in a time <laughs> when people want to squirt a gel that tastes remotely like birthday cake into their mouths and use that for fueling. I, I wonder why we haven't seen anyone claim like, hey, we're going to get you pH balanced for your high altitude races with this energy whatever. Yeah. I mean, there is a drug that does... Um that does kind of facilitate that process a little bit. Diamox you can take kind of three days prior to going to the race. Again, it's not gonna, it, it won't prevent the altitude sickness um, that, that you might get, but, um, but, but that does exist. But yes, you're right. I mean, like it is, it, yeah, it's like, it's this, it's just not, it's not interesting. It's like, you're just going to go early. Right, right. <laughs> like you need to time, time's up, you know. There's no cheating. There's, there's no, there's no no birthday cake flavored goo is going to help you through this. And I think, like, if Leadville's um, cutoffs weren't what they are, um, then then many more people would finish. It's really like, you know, when you look at it, it's kind of you have to kind of keep a 13 minute per mile pace for those first 40 miles to have like a, a good chance. And that's just hard at 10,000 feet if you're coming from nothing, you know, like that's 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 pretty fast. Um, and so that's why most people drop. Like, I think if, if the cutoffs were different, then many more people would be able to get through that race. Yeah. You know, yeah. Good. Good points all the way around for Leadville. I don't want to focus too much on Leadville. There's so much I could say because you I mean, you're you are a coach and you talk about coaching athletes and I, I don't want to have you give away all of your 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 tricks and trade because I, I want people to pay you money <laughs> they're not tricks right? I, I want people to actually pay you money to to have them coach you but let's let me let's be real here your first ultra is in 2004 you've been racing ultra marathons for 20 years um you never ask a lady her age, but I'm going to say you're probably not 19 years old. I can't imagine I you started. 51. Okay. I'm super excited about my age. Yeah, like okay. I'm 51. Yeah, 51. <laughs> you are 51 years old. Yeah. You go and run a 1650 100 miler um, in less than favorable conditions. Now, it's not a hilly mountain race. I mean, it is pretty pretty flat rolling pretty Wisconsin <laughs> hills, but you know, to beat second place by by you know nearly three hours. You're 51 years old. What how what do you credit to your longevity? The fact that you are able to compete at such a high level for so long. Well, <laughs> I feel like I need to shout out my husband first. <laughs> you know, like none of us could do any of this if we didn't have families that were like, okay, we'll see you in six hours. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> 
you're gonna go away all weekend great <laughs> i'll take care of the kids uh so yeah like i definitely i am very fortunate to have a life that allows me to do a bunch of training right um and i think that um and, and yeah, and then there is like genetics, like, right, like things have worked out. <laughs> okay. Uh, but then if you like put that aside, <laughs> like, um, then I think it's like, as you get older, you have to do all the stuff that you, that you like know is good to do, but you didn't actually do all along the way because you could get away. Like now, like, like I have to do mobility work and like I have to do strength work or I'll get injured or can't run as fast. So all the, like... I have to get like seven hours of sleep minimum. Like I got to do all that stuff, all that stuff, you know, so all the good for you stuff. I mean, that varies from person to person, kind of like what the good for you is, right? Like, um, thank God I don't have to do yoga yet. Um, But, uh, (laughs) you know, um, and so like, yeah, so I've kind of figured out what, or I am figuring out like what's necessary as, you know, my, but I think also that we just don't know in ultra running, kind of what the limits are because nobody's been doing it that long until older age certainly not women right and so yes of course we're all getting slower right but i don't know like 100 mile wise i i don't know that we you know like that we've even come close to kind of what's possible for you like in your 50s and your 60s we don't know um so yeah i think you're right on them on the money about a lot we just don't know right and i think especially we've had kind of a learning lesson in the world of ultra running this summer and the spring when we saw what camille did and we saw you know what courtney did at western states and then at hard rock and and i wondered do you think liza we're kind of seeing the beginning now there were great you know women ultra runners before camille and before uh, courtney not taking away anything from from that but i think are they almost the start of this renaissance when it comes to women ultra running where we're starting to get the attention they're starting to i mean you look at the i mean look at what she did in a crappy year dropping the the course record for western states i mean she didn't just kind of beat it she destroyed it in a bad year where there was a lot of snow and there was just not it was not the conditions did not lend well to a fast year and i think you saw that on the on the men's side as well but it seems like we're, we're, and maybe it's just this rare thing and maybe she is just this once in a lifetime talent or is it possible that she is almost this the first of many right like she's she's this this pioneer with so many behind her that are as the sport is becoming more welcoming to women athletes, because for the longest time it was a guy's sport. And as more and more women are seeing what's going on and feeling comfortable in the sport and exploring what it's like to run in the world of ultra, are we just kind of at the tip of the iceberg with women in ultra ultra running Liza, or am I just pulling stuff out of my rear end? Well, I think, I think your observation is, is, is right on that the like Courtney is exceptional and Camille, is exceptional Mm -hmm. and what they also have with that is attention and that's been different than it is in the past and i think that that is like definitely throwing open doors to what is possible like i think that there 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 were women doing amazing things obviously prior to them but there was no attention there wasn't the same attention and so it didn't open the door in the same way and so i think it is like this super exciting moment of like yeah there's attention on what women are doing and so then it's allowing other other women to think like well maybe i well maybe i could do that too or you know or maybe i should set my sights higher you know mm-hmm. um and so that's that's yeah it's, so it's very exciting do you think that we're in a situation looking at what she did to the course record and looking how over the last couple of years, I mean, you had Jim Walmsley do those exceptional races and, and to, I mean, he's a once in a lifetime talent, but not many people are able to duplicate what he did. And just looking at Western States, for example, are we 10 years away from it being a complete toss up at that race, whether it's going to be a woman who crosses the finish line first or a man? question i don't know i mean i will tell you like for me i guess what interests me more than that a little bit is just 
um, having female athletes who are aging continue to try and challenge themselves and not restrict themselves mm-hmm. from doing particular events because they're being told that they're too old now to do that. And so I, that's been more of my focus. And I think that, so so yeah, the, I mean, like the male-female question at Western States is interesting. And certainly um, it seems like, it could, I mean, certainly because so many mistakes can be made in the 100-mile race, it seems like, oh, yes, that could be, that could definitely, it could happen for sure. Right. But I think for me right now, the interest in, you know, it's always kind of self-interest, right? Like, yeah. Let's talk about older yeah. <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> Let's talk um, that uh, that it's interesting to see, like, yeah, what what kind of records will be broken on that end of the thing of the spectrum? Let's talk about that then. Let's talk about you know as as you age and you don't you don't look a day over fifty one. I, I wasn't even going to no, guess fifty one well, at all. I, so I got to interview a bunch of older runners mm-hmm. and it was a super self-interested interview project that I did for I Run Far because I was like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> I feel like I, I want to do that too. Um, and uh, one person that I interviewed was saying that her friend would go to the gym and people would always say to him, oh, you don't look whatever the fellow's age was. I think he was right. like 62. You don't look 62. And he was like, no, this is what 62 looks like. And so yeah. I, feel, I feel like that's the kind of same thing. Like, no. This is what 51 looks like. <laughs> like there's a range, <laughs> you know. So, <laughs> but how? But how are you talked about it? And it's interesting because you know, as a as a 45 year old man, I've never been told I'm too old for anything other than saying the word no cap. I've, I'm told I'm not allowed to say no cap. <laughs> um, <laughs> but has it been a situation where women have been told like you're you're a little too old to be doing this? You got to back off. <sighs> Sure. I mean, I think mo- not not so much from some any sort of like sports governing bodies or race directors or things like that. But that's just all you hear from ever like all your friends and all your you're like, oh, aren't you and your family like it's bad for your knees. Like, don't you what do you have to prove at this point? You need to set yourselves. I mean, like it's, it's insidious, right? Like it's just like that's the water you're swimming in that like older people need to not, you know, like, like yeah, you can't do the same things anymore. And so um so it's kind of fun to think like, well, um, let's, I want to choose things that, that might like knock that down a little bit. And I always like to, um, on social media, my goal is always to kind of present the disaster that is my life so that people are always like, well, I mean, if she can do that, then certainly I can go ahead, you know, and set my sights a little higher, higher. Um, and so, so yeah. It's interesting that you know people. You you hear it from people like you, the, how how are you how are you able to walk around? Your knees will be trashed. It's almost like you are forced to live your life. Well, I mean, you you listen. Liza's doing what she wants to do, which is why she's on this podcast. But it's but women especially because men are given so many graces when it comes to age and looks and all of that stuff that are not granted to women in society. But isn't it funny that? There's a, there's there's all of these stereotypes about what 51 or what 50 or 60 looks like and you are held to those where people are shocked when then the reality is you can't apply the mobility issues of of people who don't use their bodies in the same way those that may abuse their bodies and eat garbage and what have you that may have those knee problems but what does what does healthy like we we don't we don't allow the vision of what healthy 50 looks like because we're so accustomed to unhealthy 50 and you become this outlier because nobody really sees healthy 50 they see an awful lot of unhealthy 50 and so you are really punished by the fact that our society first of all doesn't really promote healthy habits we all think it's crazy, like running. Why would you? How many doctors have told people like it's going to ruin your knees? Oh come on! Of all the things that we do, like of all the things we do in our day to day lives, running is not going to be the end of humanity. <laughs> like right. you know, it's like you are you are almost being held to the standards of people who have neglected their body and have lived in an unhealthy manner, and you almost have to live to those expectations. That's crazy. And it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, so you're a runner, you know, like what can your body still do? 
you know, and it's just, and, and, and like I said, it's fun because we don't know for hundred mile distances and ultra distances, like we just don't know. And so it's kind of like, well, to, to, and so to push back against kind of expectations, uh, and, and, which is really difficult, right? Because, you know, like, obviously we're getting slower, but it's just so gray for us in the ultra mm-hmm. running world. Like, what does that mean? Like we're running slow, <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? So like, right. I mean, uh, and, and because, you know, experience is really useful in these races, it's kind of like, well, you know, so anyway, it's, it's a, it's a fun place, I think, to to be right now to try and figure that out and try and be like a little, you know, a bit of a standard bearer and be like, let's see. Yeah. Did you find a moment in, in your running? Because again, we talked earlier, doing this for 20 years in the world of ultra running. Um, was there a moment for you where you maybe had the idea that, oh, I don't know if I can continue to do this. But was there a moment that surprised you as to what your body could handle that could handle more than you thought? Maybe at some point, like, oh, wait a minute. I can, uh, this this is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think probably Marathon de Saab kind of drilled that idea that like humans are cockroaches. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they just keep on going. Um, just this like, you know, day after day after day, you're just, you continue to go on and, and run in an extreme environment. And you like go to bed and you do the same thing the next day. And I th- that's what, for me, that race, that was one of the things that was just so um, memorable and seeing other people do that right like you just see these people get beat down and they get up and the next day they're able to do it again and they're like you know you see somebody utterly destroyed and then they like go to sleep and they get up and they eat something and then like go out and do it again and right. just like that was that was so impressive and inspiring and I think that um, yeah that's the race for me where um, I've been um, just kind of uh, where it's hit home that's like oh the human body is pretty amazing what made you want to get into coaching? Because that is something where I've talked to a lot of people who have got into ultra running coaching and I've, I've had some coaches and why you would want to spend your time giving people plans that they're going to lie to you and say they did. I just, or, or, no one lies to me. When they put their their watch on their dog and have their dog go run a little bit so they can get those Strava numbers up. Like, what made you want to get into the world of coaching? Well, my children need to go to college. (laughs) (laughs) So, there's that. Um, You know, I mean, I think that I was... once I started running and I was doing well, people were asking me a lot of questions and I, you know, and then you slowly kind of get into like, oh, let me write something up for you. And, oh, you know, and talking to people. And then finally, my husband was like, you are spending quite a bit of time doing this for free. <laughs> like, either don't take away all the family time or you should earn some money. Uh, and so I got into it that way. And then it's just like, I mean, so my background is working in the outdoor industry and so I worked for both Outward Bound and for the National Outdoor Leadership School um, and still work for them and and teach wilderness medicine and so my background is um, helping people you know kind of do more than they think they can um, in the outdoors and so like the idea of helping people um, do that in ultra running like that was not such a big change from what I was doing previously and a lot of the skills really do translate um, you know and so uh, and and yeah just that like helping people figure out how to make it work within their busy lives that was really interesting to me um so it was like one like helping people do something they didn't think they could do that's that's very fun um and what i had experience in um and then like the puzzle pieces of like all right you're not a professional athlete like you're working you know 80 hours a week you have two kids under the age of three (laughs) like your spouse is mad at you uh (laughs) and you can't run this weekend (laughs) and you've signed up to do leadville and you live in ohio you know what i mean like so like that bit you're like okay 
how can we make this work for this this person that was really interesting and fun it's so cool because you know you get to look at it and and kind of put those the puzzle pieces together because i think the danger of living in a social media world and especially living in strava land right like you can follow you know jim walmsley or according to walter or you know all of these big time names on strava and see that these professional athletes who that's what they do that is that is their bread and butter that's how they're going to pay their bills they have the time to crush out 145 175 200 mile weeks right, right, right. and as the recreational ultra runner you're like okay i know i'm not going to win um, but I need to get some very high miles in there. And that is a recipe for burnout when you have a job that is, you know, right. eight to five. You got those kids. You got this spouse who's like, listen, I need help. I can't right. run this whole thing by myself. So you can go run 140 miles, miles a week. What? And I'm sure as a coach, you tell people that, like, listen, I think you can probably scale that back, but it's got to be a hard sell for some people to kind of give them a realistic plan of what you really need as a recreational runner to run a decent 100 miler. I would say that in general, that's not been my experience that most people are coming and maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a lot of the people that I've ended up working with. Most yeah. people are are pretty trusting. And I think that that's one of the, like, one of the nice things about doing well in ultras is people assume that you know what you're doing. Right. And they give you the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Uh, and, which is lovely and probably shouldn't be that way, but I'll take it, you know, because I do know what I'm doing, you know, so right, I'll take right. that. Um, it's usually... Um, it's usually, yeah, usually I don't have a ton of trouble bringing people back, but you're right. There are those people that, you know, either because of what they see on social media or just what they have in their head and round numbers um, that they feel like they, they, they have to do a certain thing in order to. And so then there's, yeah, a lot of discussion about like, okay, like this is what's necessary and this is, and, you know, we need to, yeah. And, and, it, yeah, and that can be really difficult and challenging. Um, and then you just kind of do your best to kind of mitigate the harm. (laughs) I would think though, too, that probably there's some people that when you give them the reality, when they have that expectation, the uncoached expectation of what I've seen on Strava and you present to them a plan that is reality for a recreational runner, there there must be moments of relief too. Like, Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and, I, and, you know, and then you have a discussion a bit about, like, hey, you know, it's not real, all the stuff that you see, or what you're seeing is, like, this, you know, 1%. Like, many people are very successful at 100-mile races on, like, 40 and 50 miles a week, you know, and they're happily married, <laughs> and they're good parents, you know, and so... Um, yeah, so there's that. And so, you know, and sometimes people just aren't believers until they do it. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay. It's like, oh, look you at that. Right. She was right. The, <laughs> boy, no wonder she's got all those wins. <laughs> she seems to know what she's talking about. <laughs> So, yeah. when, when someone questions you, you can just go pull up the Badger Trophy and say, "Oh, hey, I don't know if you saw this or not, but I just, I just won a race, and so." Well, and you know, and like that—that's so not true. Like, you have these amazing athletes that you know, like aren't necessarily good coaches at all because Mm -hmm. if if everything you know it's like a math teacher right like if everything came easy to you if you're good at math then most of the time you're a terrible teacher right (laughs) like it's this rare math teacher that's both good at math and a good teacher um and so i feel (laughs) like i hope that i'm 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 a good coach and i appreciate that people believe that i'm going to be good because i've performed right that's nice What do you think makes a, a a good runner a great coach? Where's the where's the and where's the disconnect to the great runners that aren't good coaches? I I think that if you don't have a background as an educator mm-hmm. um, and you're real young, it can be difficult to connect. With, more difficult to connect with people. I mean, I do feel like the, the older you are, <laughs> the easier it is to find commonalities with people. And, you know, like the secret of coaching is being able to understand where people are coming from and speak to that place. Yeah. Uh, 
And so I think as an educator and an older person, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, if you're talking to somebody who's struggling because they have young kids and they're trying to make it all work and it's a disaster and really hard, like it's helpful if you've gone, you know, you're also in that mix or maybe a little bit further along mm -hmm. um, to be able to connect and be like, oh yeah, that's miserable. <laughs> You know, um, and so yeah. So I think for some of the for some amazing athletes who are coaching, um, some of them are very very talented coaches as well. Like they they are, but I think some some folks just like they don't have the life experience. Like their their running knowledge is amazing, right. but sometimes they're not able to help people excel in the same way because their life experience isn't isn't in a place where they can connect as easily. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, they they really haven't been they haven't been to that point, and it's hard to to know what someone's going through if you haven't experienced something similar. Right, and because ultra running is, you know, like I mean, if it was just about running, we'd all run half marathons. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right, right. Because because so much of ultra running is figuring out why you want to keep going through this miserable experience. You know, like then when you have a coach that you know ha understands perhaps who you are. Um, or why, or understand your why, kind of fundamentally, then it's a little bit easier. I always love to ask this question, question to coaches that I have on because um, it, it, the, the answer always kind of goes in spurts. Sometimes it's the same answer five times in a row. Sometimes it's something completely different. But what do you, Eliza, think is the biggest mistake that recreational ultra runners make in their training? my good I question think, for the podcast you had to think yeah, about that one <laughs> i think that most people undervalue consistency um and that if they valued it more they would perform better um that that you know that that whole ethos that just keeps showing up um and five minutes counts um i think there's that and then I think also most recreational runners undervalue the basics like eight hours of sleep and um, and uh, and eating things that are going to fuel your running. Uh, that I think that that's undervalued. Um, so yeah, like all the un like the unsexy stuff. You know what I mean? Like, keep doing it and get some sleep. Uh, I think that's just undervalued, and then so you know people look for other other ways to perform, you know, to Im increase their performance, and then are disappointed um, because it's not improving, or they're getting injured because they're not doing these these fundamental things. We're missing out on the basics for the sexy stuff. Yeah, you know, like it's not. <laughs> like going to bed at nine not really like it's not, <laughs> not exciting, exciting. <laughs> tell you what nobody likes a picture on instagram of you going to bed in your jammies and it's 8 30 <laughs> yeah, nobody cares right like or or you're like i knocked out that three mile run at an 11 minute pace right <laughs> you know in my neighborhood <laughs> wasn't well, fun right we need david goggins yelling in a video about going to bed at eight o'clock that's that's what'll get people to go to early bedtimes like and then you know yeah yeah don't get me started don't get me started <laughs> <laughs> hey mfers it's eight o'clock why are you still awake go to bed <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's not like most of it. And I mean, so many people say this, like, like 90% is not magic. It's just like you, if you run consistently, you will get better at running, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if you do that, when you're not exhausted, you'll be even better. But you do, you know, you bring up a really good point, Liza, because let's, let's, let's just talk about social media and the influence of that. The people who get the most buzz on social media are the ones that are extreme 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 you know you're you're like we i joked before david goggins is not making a video screaming at you to go to bed at eight o'clock and he's not making a video screaming at you to slow down like you're never gonna see him go 750 you need to be running this at 1050 like you're never and it's not yeah. like like those things are not the sexy things that get attention and the people that are shouting those things maybe it's because they're not shouting it with their shirts off 
you know, on the side of the road or whatever, but they're not getting the attention. And so right, right. <laughs> they need to look better. Right, right, right. Reasonable. Things. You need to go to sleep. <laughs> right, right. We need somebody yeah. in really good shape and big muscles to scream yeah. those yeah. things. But it yeah. is counter to what we are encountering on social media because the algorithms show you the yellers. They don't show you the common sense. It's a yeah, it's all it's a really interesting question. What's it inspiring to people? Right. Mm -hmm. And why is that particular thing inspiring? And it's yeah, it's hard to figure that out. I mean, like, and that's different than kind of like what eye candy is on social media a bit. But as far as like, you know, what's inspiring people to change their behavior? It'd be interesting to like I've talked to people who've said that, like, you know, David Goggins books have changed their lives. Yeah, like he's been very inspired. um, Right. And so um, but I would be curious, like, you know, how like how like what is the reach of people who are putting, you know, kind of their training out there and how how do you help other people kind of do what they want to do? Um, and I don't know, you know, it's like you need a good balance of, 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 of the both, because as much garbage as I give David Goggins because he refuses to answer my emails and will not come on the podcast. The reality is that he inspires a lot of people and he gets a lot of people to reevaluate a sedentary lifestyle or to make changes um, that that are positive. I mean, you know, people that thought you know life is over they're into drugs or overeating or whatever and what something he said inspired them to make a change and that is fantastic but you're right, right. We, we need we need his buddy to balance him out telling him to, <laughs> he, he, go to go to bed at eight and then slow down it's okay not to do it. it's too late go to sleep <laughs> right, right 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 exactly exactly Eat Tell, a donut. it's fine except every once in a while a donut is okay you know <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I, I like I said, like with my social media, like I, I hate doing that stuff, but I I wanted to put out there just a little bit of like, you know, kind of ugly pictures in ugly places yeah. and see if that has any effect. And like, you know, and sure, it's like a tiny little drop, but it does seem like for some folks it is, you know, that it's kind of like, well, it is just keep showing up and mm-hmm. like you can get results from that. And so and you don't have to. Even if you don't look good, (laughs) right? You know, you can. So I don't know. You know, it's funny with social media. Is I've got the I've got the biggest trouble with social media, and there are so many people that do social media way better than I do. And I think one of my biggest hindrances as a podcast, and what kind of keeps me in the tertiary realm, is the fact that I just don't get social media. And growing up in the Midwest. I was told my entire life, be modest. You don't talk right. about yourself. You don't talk right. about your accomplishments. You don't bother people. And so right. for me, like I've talked to some really smart people about social media. Like, what do I need to do? How can I how can I use social media to brand the adventure jogger and to, you know, get the compelling stories of my guests into more people's ears? And the things they say. Just make the inner Midwesterner in me cringe. Like, I don't know. I can't post that 10 times. People are going to be bothered. (laughs) Exactly. I think the same thing all the time. I was like, I'll just put one today. Like one picture. I want to, I mean, people will be annoyed. (laughs) Right. It's like, I talked to to Jason Green. He's like, no, you got to post it like 10 or 15 times before people get really even see it with the way the algorithms are. And I'm like, right, right, right. I don't know if I want to bother anybody. You know, or or bragging about downloads and listens and all that stuff. I just, any time that I could, I even like think of something braggadocious, all I can hear is my mom going, yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't do that. Uh, Yeah, no, you have to find a reason that it's okay to do all that. Like, so for me, I'm like, hey, old ladies, (laughs) right, right. Here I am in a sports bra. If I can do this, you can do this. Um, or like for, uh, or or it's useful for kind of for banter runners. Like if I if I'm getting attention, then that's useful for um, for the banter runners group. And so so yeah, you have to find a way that like, it makes it all feel okay. Right. I basically need to call my mom and say, "Mom, are you okay with me being annoying on Facebook so I can get listens? I got to pay for yeah. kids' college too, Mom." Well, yeah, you can just think that. Like every time you do it, like. For for the kids. Band of of Runners, talk about that for a minute. What inspired that movement? Well, so we are a nonprofit that brings veterans and surviving family members into the trail running community. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was out on a run 
years ago and I was listening to a podcast and this fellow was being interviewed. His name is Mike Irwin and he started a group called Team Red, White and Blue that was helping um, veterans reintegrate um, with their communities. Um, And so I stopped my run. I was looking for an excuse to stop stop (laughs) my run. And and I contacted him. I was like, hey, I'm a military brat. I would, you know, how can I help out? And he was like, that's great. I don't know. How can you help out? And I was like, well, we could do a trail running camp. Um, And uh, let's do that. And so for about five years, I think, we ran Team Red, White, and Blue's uh, trail running camp. So they brought folks from all over the United States. And and then basically, I just asked, like, all the wonderful people that I'd met in the trail running community to come. Um, We kind of taught the ins and outs of trail running. And then Team Red, White, and Blue decided they wanted to do more leadership training. And we thought that was great, but we were like, but we're trail runners. Right, <laughs> right. Trail runners. And we feel like trail running is inherently valuable um, to veterans who are struggling with a lot of challenges. Like, And specifically, you know, um, it, trail running and ultra running in our community is valuable. And so then we created Band of Runners as a result and made, our, made it its own little nonprofit. And so we've been doing that for about five years as well um and so our camp is in the texas hill country and it's entirely free to veterans and surviving family members and so if anybody wants to come it's in november and they just go to bandofrunners.org and all the information is there and um, we also do a fast packing trip Um, but the whole idea is just you know that our the trojan community is wonderful and inclusive and there's a place for anybody wherever you are in your in your fitness level. Um, and so just kind of to throw open those doors um, for folks um, with a focus on, you know, like the resiliency that being in this community gives to people. So, so yeah, so that's can, Band of Runners. Can people donate at bandofrunners.org to help Why, offset the yes, cost? Why, yes, they can. <laughs> I kind of figured they could. <laughs> And if you go to 10 Junk Miles in their store, the probably the best way is there's an awesome Band of Runners t-shirt that Rabbit makes, and it's $50, and most of that is to fund the camp. The reason we it's so expensive is because it all goes to the camp, and so you would get a cool Rabbit t-shirt plus help the camp. So. Very cool. I'm going to link to bandofrunners.org in the show notes. And I'm going to track down that T-shirt on the Ten Junk Mile store, and 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 link that as well, so people can can That's get wonderful. both of those. You know, I I kind of am incredibly blessed to. I, I'm not from a military family. My my grandfather served in the Second World War, but he rarely talked about it. You know, my dad wasn't in Vietnam, wasn't in the Gulf War. None of my brothers are, are in the service. But moving to Clarksville, Tennessee, for work, and and Clarksville is is the home of Fort Campbell. I mean, Fort Campbell, it's Fort Campbell, Kentucky, but it's in Tennessee. The only reason it's Fort Campbell, Kentucky is because the post office portion of the base is in Kentucky. The bulk of the base is in Tennessee. Most of the soldiers live in Tennessee. So I I moved to a military town, right? And so all of a sudden, all of my friends in the running community were either veterans or active duty. And the relationship... And I'm sure Band of Brothers sees a benefit benefit from this as well. Is is same with, with Team Red, White, and Blue because it's not just military and Team RWB and Band of Runners. There's civilians in there as well. Right. I think there is a benefit, an incredible benefit that doesn't get talked about a lot when you pair military with non-military and a friendship that forms from two people from completely different worlds. Yep. You know, yeah, hundred percent. The the benefit, percent. And I think yeah. like initially that was one of our kind of secret motives as well was just that you know the way things are now, you can go through life without knowing anybody in the military unless you happen to live somewhere or your family is right, and that. You know, and of course, that allows for a lot of misunderstanding, um, and so um, it's been really fun. Um, and and felt useful this idea of like yeah bringing folks together and then and then just seeing folks be like oh like like, ah i can totally be friends with you you know right and the lessons that you learn too i mean just just from you know me being a civilian and all, all of my running essentially done with either a veteran or an active duty soldier that that's my group just 
the lessons that I'm able to learn from the experience that, that, that they have had and just the way that they go about doing things, there's a different way of, of operating that I'm kind of like, oh, I, I, I kind of can learn some things from this. And on the flip side of the coin is anytime you get a group of people together that have the same experience, they tend to continue to talk about said same experience and you can't escape the realities of the military speak, the talking about this and right. the talking about that. Right, right, right. And I think when you pair up of, of you know, military runners and, and veteran runners with people that have no idea, like they're like, I, I don't even know what that means. Like you're saying right, a bunch right, of words right. and I have no idea what it means. And it gives them almost a break from having to constantly exist in the realities of the job because it is so, so consuming. So you've got just this dopey friend that has no idea what MOS means or you know, FOB or whatever. And right, it kind of right. gives you a, gives you a respite from the realities of your very demanding job. Yeah. 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 It's been like, I am so grateful to be part of it. And we just have amazing people. Like the hardest part of my job yeah. with band runners is turning down volunteers because it, you know, like, I mean, we all feel like our running is a very selfish endeavor, right? And so we're all looking for, and then for something like this, like, it's so clear that you're doing something that can be really useful to people. And so, yeah, I'm like, if people are like, I'll do anything, I'll clean toilets. And I'm like, I have three people cleaning <laughs> toilets. Like, I would love that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. We're like, we're super tiny. <laughs> we have a big impact. We're um, and so, like that's been the that's been the hardest part to try and figure that that aspect out. But we're doing we're doing well. So if you are interested um, and talented, do contact me, and you can do that on the Vander Runner site for sure. Yes, but just know that Liza's gotten pretty good at turning people away. She she can she knows how to say no. <laughs> no, because you know what we need help with is fundraising. So if you have any of those skills, like come come talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh brother anyway yeah so. bandrunners.org that's where you go you can make a donation i will link the 10 junk miles store uh the shirt in there so you can go ahead and buy that shirt it is honestly it's so rewarding um one of the one of the best things i i did not move to this community thinking i would be here very long um i thought i would be in a military town for three years tops and i'd move away um you couldn't pay me to leave this town because of the friendships i've made and the people that I've I've met through, you know, living in a in a military town, it's just it's if you haven't experienced it, it's it's life changing and it's it's wonderful and it's in many different ways. And I think for some folks who are struggling, like getting into ultra running and just remembering how strong and resilient that they are, like it's a it's a good place to be reminded of that. Um, and so that's a lovely part to you know to be a part of that to remind people like I don't know and the and the community too like when right. you think about the running community in general I think runners of all shapes and sizes and speeds and distances running makes a person different right and you're gonna it's gonna it's going to appeal to people of a certain mentality and a certain mindset right I think all runners are 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 are, are really good people overall I mean there's there's plenty of douchebags we know that but all for whatever <laughs> yeah, right for whatever reason the ultra running community seems to attract people of a certain mindset of a certain behaviors of a certain you know way that creates this community of acceptance unconditional support like you'll right. drop like you'll drop anything to help a complete stranger do something like so it's 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 very it's it's a great community to be to be involved in especially if you are struggling because there's so many people that literally will drop everything to prop you up if needed and the flip side of that too is that it's an amazing way to be useful to other people and so you know like when you're struggling and feeling like a little you know like at loose ends to be able to go somewhere and be like I am actively helping people you know what I mean mm -hmm. like I especially and with a lot of obviously these sort of like amazing skills right and so to be able to go and like be in an aid station or be a pacer or be a crew member and be like oh <laughs> like I am I am actively being useful right now that's like that's that's a good feeling you know mm -hmm. so. Liza what are you looking forward to next? What is the next big thing for you? 
I'm going to go back to Badwater in 2024. So I'm doing a bunch of stuff in between to try and uh, make that be a bit of a better race. Yeah. I, I, I have all the respect in the world for people that do that race because I would have, I, I'm sorry. I just, I'm such a heat wimp. Yeah, see, no, it's one of those ones. You say that and then you go out there and like you, you crew and then you're like, well, maybe. Um, and the next thing you know, you're like, I'm going to go back. <laughs> well, with all of the ice and the cooling advice you gave us early in the podcast, Liza, I'm sure a lot of people are going to be like, yeah, oh, yeah, I could totally, I can totally, all I need is just, a, I need a dry, I, I need a dry ice bandana. That's all I need. Let me, I would just leave you with this memory <laughs> as we close. Like okay. My last bath water, my, my overarching memory is lying face down in the minivan, like behind, between the front seats and the back seat like squashed between boxes of soda, face down, <laughs> thinking about death. <laughs> and, then, and then turning on my side, this was after a lot of vomiting, like turning on my side, and the minivan doors open and all my friends, like four of my friends are standing there with these looks on their face of just like utter compassion. And I was just thinking like, this is the best place in the world. <laughs> where else would people love you so dearly get like i feel like i vomited on them prior to that so anyway so uh yeah so i'm hoping to have a uh the compassion uh but uh not as much of the suffering this next time so. more compassion less vomiting yes <laughs> that's that's what i hope for you eliza thank you thank so much this has been a great chat it's been wonderful talking with you ryan <laughs>